Curiosity. Kill the rat. Curiosity. Kill the rat. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Curiosity Killed the Rat. My name is Matt. I'm a science enthusiast, and Kate was too slow. Kate was going to bring in the show today. I gave <laughs> I them every the opportunity, show, but... but nope, they took too long, so we're going I'm back sorry. to the default. I would yep. like to start by acknowledging that I am recording this from lands traditionally owned by the Noongar people, and let's bring it over to our slow co-host. <laughs> well, at least you used something other than lovely this you time. You said you wanted a different adjective and well, that's that's just how it is now. And you know what? I earned that one, so that's <laughs> fine. Uh, yes, I'm Kate. I am here and <laughs> feeling slow today, apparently. No, I, I, I'm actually really excited about this topic because it's going to be a real fun, uh, funny one. Um, but if you haven't listened to the show before, I am a neuroscientist by, I was gonna say by trade, but it's not really a trade by, you know, what I've spent the majority of my life studying. Um, but we're not talking about neuroscience today. Um, and I would like to, before we launch right into what we are talking about, acknowledge that I am recording from lands traditionally owned by the Wurundjeri people. And so, with that... With that. Let's flamingo. <laughs> let's flamingo. I couldn't do it without go. laughing. Oh, I'm so sad. I laugh at my own jokes before I can even get them out. And it hey, wasn't even my own joke. Enough. Because that was your joke that I stole. Uh, let's flamingo. That's I want right. to talk about flamingos. I want to do a whole... Flip it episode on what I think is I, one of my favorite animals, I have to say, um, because I hard relate. They are tall, they are <laughs> lanky, they are colorful, they are just real strange. Flamingos are a bird I haven't given any thought to since I think I was in primary school. Really? I just, I, I, I'm trying to look back on my life to a time when. I've actively thought about flamingos just as a concept, as a bird, mm. as a thing. And all I can think of is the Lion King. They, they're briefly in the Lion King, <laughs> I think. Or Fa Fantasia as well, maybe? Are there flamingos yes, in Fantasia? Yes, there's definitely some flamingos in um, Fantasia. Otherwise, I know nothing of them. They are just well, very long boys, flamboyant boys. Just, just pure yeah. graceful boys. Graceful, graceful. Did you say? I maybe I don't know. Interesting. I, Interesting. I, I assume they're graceful. Are they not graceful? They're far too pretty um, to not be graceful. Well, I mean, the shirt that I, the t-shirt that I am wearing right now, which you know anyone who's looked at our social media in the lead up to this episode will have seen. I own a t-shirt with a flamingo on it. Interestingly, flamingo standing on two legs, which we'll, we'll get to that. Mm. It's not what they usually do. Uh, and it says majestically awkward. And I've always kind of seen them as a very awkward mm. bird. They're very awkward. Gangly. They, they definitely, the sound that they make is definitely not graceful. Like if you expect them to have like a beautiful kind of, like they, they sound like angry geese i'll find you know what we'll find a clip we we'll will splice find a clip. we'll splice i'll splice in the audio yeah. of how they sound right now we didn't need yeah. to actually pause because i can cut things <laughs> and paste things and move them around but i appreciate that we both paused just then for the uh for the insert of True. the sound effect <laughs> and but like wait. yeah it, I mean, our listeners have now heard it, but Matt, you... What a crazy, what a crazy sound. Oh boy, that is quite... I, we, we haven't, I haven't heard the sound yet. I'm 
I'm trying to yeah. I'm trying to fade no, it's, it's just like this this kind of honking noise. Like it's more like a a, a, a goose than a <laughs> I don't know, a, like songbird kind right. of sound. Um and like they're very noisy and the vocalizations actually play a really important role in so many aspects of their lives. Like in like what's called parent chick recognition. So like how they tell which one's their baby essentially is they kind of have these distinctive, like they call out like, they listen for the sound of their voice. Uh, But in a much more awkward honking kind of way. Yeah. Um, Right. And it's part of their like, you know, mating rituals, which are real interesting. We'll get to those. Don't you worry. Okay. Um, Yeah. But before we kind of dive into all of that. Mm-hmm. I want to start with like the the kind of very sort of basic, like the name flamingo. Um, yes. It comes from like Portuguese or Spanish flamengo. Definitely pronounced that wrong. Uh, <laughs> essentially, it means flame colored. Okay. They're named based on their color because, like, honestly, the only reason that people, I mean, you clearly don't give a fuck about flamingos, which makes me <laughs> sad, Matt. But um, like other people, like you know. Lawn ornaments in, like, Florida, mm. for example. Like, the pink plastic lawn ornament flamingo is, yeah. like, such a thing. Such an That's iconic, such quintessential thing, right? But flame mm, color. Exactly. Fla- but, like, we, we only care... You don't do birds of other colours. We only care about flamingos because they're pink. And that's exciting and fun. But and, flames aren't you know. pink. Come on now. Flame well, colours? I feel like we've been lied to. Okay. The well, Spanish have some sorry. very flamboyant flames, and I want some. Once again, this animal loved them. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's where flamingo. the name comes from. Well, there you go. The It's really interesting about the fact that they're pink, though, because, like, the question of, like, why are they pink yes. isn't, like, that's actually an interesting question. Are all Not- flamingos pink, or is it, like, peacocks where it's just the males? Because we know peacocks, another famously vibrant bird, like, their whole thing about being a vibrant color. And I think it's the case mm. with a lot of different birds. If they are quite flamboyantly colored, it's generally the males of the species. A mate? Exactly. Cause they, they want to fuck. And mm. so that's their way of presenting themselves so they can attract a mate. So the, the females of the species tend to be a much uh, blander color. Is that, is that the case no. with flamingos? No. Flamingo. Um, flamingo. Uh, but <laughs> You were onto something when you said not all flamingos are pink. It's okay. not a male-female thing. But when they're born, they're born white. They're not, like, you know... Uh, they do, like, a whole... Maybe with it. Maybe it's Maybelline. Um, ugly duckling flamingos transformation, eh? Yeah, yeah. So it's not like, you know, some animals... Like, like a, a black cat, for example, mm-hmm. is, is born black and it's black because within the fur... They, they, the fur naturally contains these, like, pigments. It, black cat contains melanin, right? It's yep. black, black pigment. Um, and it's born with it, and that's... So that's why it's that colour. And, yep. you know, dogs, horses, you know, a lot of animals are, are like that. Mm-hmm. Flamingos, baby flamingos, when they're born, they're actually, like, grey or white. Oh, um, okay. And actually, like, some flamingos in captivity, if they're fed different diets, like specifically like specially made pellets that are you know often fed to other water birds and stuff if if they're fed that instead of their natural diet they stay white or ah, gray so they c- don't turn 
pink. Kind of like a salmon, right? You have wild salmon, cut one of them open, there are this beautiful pink color, but farmed salmon, uh, this kind of gross looking gray color. So mm. they actually have to feed, I, I don't know whether it's something they put into the salmon's diet or whether they dye the meat after the fact, but farmed salmon goes undergoes some sort of dyeing process oh. because the natural meat color isn't that beautiful pink that people are used to from salmon. Something about... Yeah, difference in their diet. I think like the krill or algae yeah. they eat or something. Interesting. Sure I didn't is. know that. And so I haven't actually researched salmon as a specific example, mm. um, which is really interesting. And now I wish that I had, <laughs> but like, a, you know, a, a, an example, I'll explain it a little bit later. I'll break down the science of like how their diet actually turns them pink. But mm. like an equivalent example is, you know, you know, lobster and prawns, when you boil it, ah, yes. it becomes they... pinky red, which like, this is where I'm going to embarrass myself and admit that I only learnt, what <laughs> yes. was it, in a couple of months ago yep. that this was a thing. I literally thought that like lobsters and, and, and prawns mm-hmm. were red, just hanging out. I blame the Little Mermaid and the fact that I don't eat meat or yes, seafood to be fair, um, on this fact. You do not eat seafood, so you wouldn't know that. I and the Little Mermaid Sebastian is, is red. I'm sorry. He's pre- is that just a joke saying he's already cooked? He he's he's baked. Oh, he, he's no. actually a bit of a stoner. <laughs> I mean, he is Jamaican. <laughs> Maybe it's just leaning into that roster oh, culture. No. Oh my goodness. Walt Disney. We have to have some words about. Oh come on, Walt Disney's done far more here. far more <laughs> offensive stuff than you know that. what. Like, you are correct. Like the blatant slavery in Dumbo, and any anyway, that's a whole anyway. Thing. That's a let's, whole thing. We could start a whole show on problematic <laughs> Disney. Let's not. Yes. Let's not. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll get back to that in a sec. But that's the example that I had. But it's interesting. Yeah. I wonder if salmon, I wonder if salmon is a similar thing. Anyway, mm. b- before I kind of get to, you know, how their diet changes, you know, their color, I want to take mm. a little step back and talk about just like how they eat, first of all, mm. because this is just, they're just so interesting. These creatures are so interesting. So what I kind of didn't mention before is that the habitats that you usually find these birds in, like hanging out in large flocks uh, in, you know, lagoons or estuaries or Mm. lakes or sometimes swamps or tidal flats, like, you know, they they just like shallow water. Yes. Uh, And like shallow water. Yeah. Um, So that they like stand in it and then their beaks their beaks are fucking whack so Mm. if you if you've ever like looked up close to a beak of a flamingo it's like it's like this hook shape it's like but it's like dented down so it kind of sticks out of their mouth and then hooks down at quite a steep angle and it's kind of imagine a soup ladle combined with like a what what's the strainer like a colander. colander Yeah. Yeah. So like a, a ladle combined with a colander. So a slotted they, spoon, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> but also no, not really, because they're kind of two separate parts. Okay. So the top of their beak is like the soup ladle because they actually eat upside down. Like they do the oh. whole drink a cup of water upside down to stop the hiccups trick. Like because okay. their necks are so long and gangly that their heads are literally upside down in the water. So first what they do is they kick their feet about it a little bit to like stir up all the, you know, algae and, mm-hmm. and crustaceans mm-hmm. and shits that, that's in, in the water. Mm-hmm. Then they put their heads upside down and then they use the top of the beak, which is now the bottom because mm-hmm. they're upside down, as like 
the soup ladle and they yeah right scoop so, so up the soup they have like now an has upside down spoon as the top of their head so they have to turn their head fully upside down for their spoon to actually do the scoopy scoopy yeah what yeah an and then the bottom design. of the beak is kind of more the the colander actually it's it's kind of their tongues that are the colander that like act as a colander to trap the little animals and and stuff and force all the water out Mm. because their tongues, holy shit, I I have to show you a picture. So what I'm going to do, I'm just going to like screen share right now and show you this picture, which I know our listeners can't (laughs) see and I will be sharing this on social media. And you know what? Pause right now and just Google uh, flamingo tongue. You've got to Google flamingo tongue bird though, because flamingo tongue is a type of snail. There's a type of snail called oh, the flamingo tongue. Okay. Which is, is it weird because it looks like because, a flamingo tongue? No, it looks <laughs> nothing like a flamingo tongue, and I don't understand. Maybe it tastes like a flamingo tongue. Humans like to eat weird shit. Okay, okay. Side note before I show you this picture okay. then. Uh, in ancient Rome, flamingo tongues were actually a delicacy okay. that they ate. Well, there you um, go. Because they're very muscular. So to perform this role of like forcing the excess water that mm. they've scooped up, because they just want the chunks of the soup. So right. they scoop it up. Their tongue then forces out the water and traps the little bits. Um, and so they're quite muscular. So apparently they're quite good to eat. Or they they like juice, but least. pulp only. Yeah, pulp only, thank you. Um, and I'll show you how they do this. And I will oh do my, my best to describe this picture for yeah. the listeners at home who can't be bothered Googling an image because I respect that. Um, oh my God, that is fucking terrifying. Are those teeth? Are those teeth on its, it's tongue? It's got... What the fucking fuck? like fangs that's something, on its tongue? That's something out of a it's horror got, like, movie. Oh my god! Yeah, it looks I know. like so. Suddenly, uh, these graceful, uh. beautiful <laughs> birds. Right? Uh, you will never see. This is why I say it's uh, worth your time and effort to Google this because you'll yeah, never see a flamingo okay. the same. And then you can also kind of see what I mean about the beak, how it's like hooked. But importantly, yeah, it kind of it's it's. Yeah. That's your colander, that's, right? Okay. It, it catches it, all the little bits, all these little, like, it's got like, yeah. The beak almost hooks down at like a 90 degree angle. That's crazy. Yeah, like it's, you know, quite a steep, like it's almost dented so more like, than hooked, it's, right? Like the top it's, half of its beak has these tiny little teeth that kind of look kind of looks like a saw. It's almost like a serrated thing. And then the mm. bottom one, it only has teeth further to the back of its mouth and they... They are huge. Those are scary. They look like fucking centipede legs. Are, are those part of its jaw or are those part of its tongue? I can't part tell. Part of its tongue. It has I'm teeth sure. on its tongue. Oh my God. That's terrifying. Um, But they're not quite teeth. They're made of... Oh. They're kind of like... um. um like what, like well, whales they they have. act like baleen, right? Yeah, like baleen, baleen, baleen whales. That is correct. Yes, I don't know why I said that weirdly. Like, I guess my second guess myself there, but yeah, they act like baleen to filter out the the tiny. Like they're not teeth. So but... what I'm imagining flamingos are. This is the best way I can describe this. Imagine a, an upside down curved pelican beak crossed with a whale's filter feeding. And just the gnarliest tongue you've ever seen. And a look of of pure soullessness in its eye. That man has no remorse. Yeah. This this is a threat. So what does it eat? Is it carnivorous? It is it does it just eat the algae? Does it eat the plant life? Does it eat the micro krill shit? Does it eat bigger fish? Um, they're very unfussy. They will eat whatever um they scoop up. Pure but what they omnivore. like is 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 the essentially the algae 
the shrimp, the clams, the, like crustaceans, mm. you know. That's, and that, particularly the algae and the shrimp are what are high in those reddish orangey pigments called carotenoids, which you may have heard of before. Um, think carrots. Um, ah, is that what gives orange them that pigment? orangey color? Right. Because carrots are very good at staining things with mm. their, with their mm. orangeness. So... And this is where it's kind of like how how you said, you know, is it like peacocks and that, you know, that it's the the, the men are flamboyant to try attract a, a, you know, a mate. The more pink or vibrantly coloured a flamingo is, like that is act- that is a marker of like fitness, quote unquote fitness, right. like species fitness, like because how, they're obviously they're better they at are. hunting. They're yeah. getting they've they've caught more crustaceans than the other blokes. So they're more pink. So I suppose, um, yeah, the, the pinkness of the flamingos is even kind of like a, it's that salmon pink. It's that slightly orangey, peachy kind of thing. If it's mm, using the same mm. stuff that's dying carrots, that orange, it, it's, I feel like the pink mm. flamingo is sort of a, not a, not a, not a misnomer, but a, um. Well, a slight misunderstanding of yeah. their color, but no, they can be like, they, well, there's six, there's six different species of flamingos. First okay. of all, I probably should have opened with that, um, <laughs> from, you know, all around the world. It's like right off the top of my notes, but I forgot to say it. Um, yeah, four where, of the species distributed through. mostly live? So four of the species distributed through the Americas, including like the Caribbean. Florida. And then two of the other species are native to Africa, Asia, and Europe. So kind of everywhere. Yeah, right. Um, but not everywhere. Um, but you know, yeah. And interestingly, like, you know how like Florida is associated with always like having heaps of plastic pink flamingos. Yeah. Apparently native flamingos, flamingos are actually native to Florida as yeah, well. Right. So it's like their national um, bird, I guess. Well, they're a state. And there was, there was a story that like, I've, I've found conflicting. So like, take this as more of a, you know, I don't know if this is actually true, but it's a fun, it's a fun story if it is. Um, but I couldn't, you know, scientifically confirm it, but apparently, you know, back in the, ooh, I want to say like 1800s or something like flamingos, the flamingos in Florida went extinct or got close to it, like extinction. And then, or they, they must've gone extinct, but there were some still in captivity in the zoo, but then they escaped the zoo <laughs> Um, and then managed to like accidentally repopulate the wild population of, um, flamingos. Like it was a case of accidental conservation where like the aim of conservation is ultimately take animals, you know, into captivity to like breed them and then hopefully release them back out into the wild. So their population can continue. Mm. And apparently this accidentally happened in Florida with flamingos. Um, and I want to believe that that's true, but But I, you don't know for sure if that's true. I don't know. It it sounds like a nice urban legend that I hope is. Does, true, but I, um, I could happily believe it either way, you know. Yeah. But okay, okay. Enough of the just like fun, fun non scientific anecdotes. Let's mm. <laughs> talk about some science because yes. you know we are a science show, and I probably so should, we say you know, throw some. Um, how how does algae first of all, which is definitely not pink, and then like shrimp or like you know like prawns aren't pink until you cook them? Apparently, yes. Um, you know yes. how do these non pink animals like? turn the animal pink like they're not eating pink crustaceans what i wonder is is it 
you know, a similar process to what happens to prawns because it's not like prawns turn pink as they get older, like is the case with flamingos. Prawns and crabs and lobsters are normally blue or brown. And then when like the heat is applied, something goes on there that makes it turn red. I don't know what it is, but I feel like that mm-hmm. might be a different process, right? Compared to, you know, even... Like, if I'm thinking of it similar Different to a swan, right? Because a swan starts off as, you know, ye old ugly duckling, then develops its beautiful white mm. plumage. But that's just, <laughs> I imagine, you know, baby feathers and then adult that's feathers. That's not a diet thing. Yeah, that's just, you know, um, part of its yeah. molting. So or how whatever. does it work with the diet? Well, like, you're right in that it's, it's similar to how, like, what happens when you boil a lobster mm. and something changes. So when you, when you cook it, what happens is heat denatures proteins, which yes. means it kind of, it makes them change shape, right? Mm. Um, and what happens when flamingos eat something is digestive enzymes can break down proteins or change their shape, right? So it's, right. It's, it's a similar process. And what essentially happens is that the, the pigment, which is what we call, what we call a pigment is just something that dictates color, right? Go back and listen to our color episode if you want to know more about color. But you know, melanin is a black pigment because of the wavelengths of light that it reflects means that we see it as black. Mm -hmm. Uh, Chlorophyll is a green pigment because of the wavelengths it reflects. We Mm -hmm. see it as green. Um, And carotenoids are a reddish, yellowish, orangish, pinkish pigment Mm -hmm. um, group of pigments because the color that those are the wavelengths of light that we see them as. But when these pigments are bonded to something else as part of like a larger completely different compound Mm -hmm. it doesn't reflect those colors of lights so for example oh i'm going to pronounce this wrong but there there is there is something called a compound called astaxanthin why do (laughs) i do this to myself astaxax there's a compound (laughs) It starts with A and it's spelled A-S-T-A-X-A-N-T-H-I-N. It sounds like a top, That's definitely That sounds like one of the vaccines. What are you doing? Pfizer Astaxanthin. Astaxanthin, yeah. I've heard it has a good efficacy rate, but it turns you this kind of pink color is one of the side effects, so I don't know if it's worth it. Hey. Definitely worth it. I'd be pink to get I'd I'd turn pink if if that was a side effect of the vaccine. Um The point is, when it's when it's in a compound like bound as a, a protein, mm-hmm. the the pigments inside it reflect a different color of light. But then, when the flamingo eats this, mm-hmm. the digestive enzymes detach the pigment from the protein, and so when the pigment is free from the protein, it starts reflecting red light. This pigment okay. is then incorporated into fats mm-hmm. that are deposited into the bird's growing feathers, and then after, like, two to three years, the accumulating fats slowly turn the feathers into this, like, pink-red colour because these pigments that are embedded in the fats that are embedded in the feathers have ultimately come from the food because the digestive enzymes have broken them apart and and stolen the pigment part. So when we're cooking prawns and crab and things like that, these pigments are naturally a part of the creature, but they're bonded to these proteins. When we cook them and denature the proteins, it releases the pigments, allowing us to, for Mm. for it to actually reflect the wavelengths of light that give it its distinctive color that it couldn't before 
while it was bonded. And so flamingos are just doing that inside their bellies and then they're reabsorbing that pigment. And it's kind of like putting a celery stick in a thing with food coloring in it. And you can Mm. see the food coloring go out through it. The the pigment is going up through the feathers Mm. and and staining (laughs) it, dying it. So like, you know, I want to point out that this means, in fact, I was correct that, you know, uh, these crustaceans are naturally red. We just can't see it. Oh, no, 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 no. You are wrong. <laughs> they are not naturally red. They do not become red until we denature the proteins because the color is defined no, know, by the wavelengths the of light. Just because it has the pigment in it. The pigment naturally <laughs> exists inside of it. It's not like the flamingo. The crustaceans <laughs> don't have to eat the pigment. The pigment is naturally occurring hey, inside the hey, crustaceans. Hey, we just hey, can't see it hey. until we either maybe the real, denature the proteins maybe, uh, or apply digestion. <laughs> maybe the real pigment was inside us all along. <laughs> Maybe the real pigment exactly was the friends we made along I'm... the way. <laughs> <laughs> Not the pigments we ate along the way. Um... That's it. And yeah. Sebastian the crab, he just found a way to denature his he... proteins. Ursula, he made a deal with Ursula and she did some whack shit and just denatured those proteins. <laughs> he went to Ursula and he was like, you know what? I think I would look better if I was red. Just just as a fact. Like, you know, like dying hair. hair. Like, Ariel has red hair. They're, they're, Ooh, they're buds. Maybe, like, uh, red looks good on her. It'd look good on me. I Makes wonder how deal. Ariel made her Protein's hair red denature. because I'm pretty sure no one else in her family has red hair. So maybe she had an interesting diet that Sebastian wouldn't want to know about that stain her <laughs> hair of a certain color. I mean, well, it's interesting you say that because uh, this can actually happen to humans. Not, Ooh. not. It's not your hair that changes color. It's your skin. I was thinking, damn, I wanted color. to be. I wanted to be a redhead. <laughs> I mean, there is a thing called hair dye. Uh, my hair is currently bright yellow, which I let me let you in on a little secret. This ain't natural. What? Uh, yeah, yeah. If humans that eat really high quantities of foods that are like high in carotenoids mm. like carrots or apricots or sweet potato or don't know because uh, turmeric is a very mango. very stainy stainy spice i've been cooking with it a lot more and it's just all dishes that were once white are now yellow no matter how mm. much i wash them <laughs> <laughs> well lucky lucky you like the color yellow hey? this is true <laughs> um no but i i'm not sure about turmeric but there are lots of foods that we do eat that yeah it, it's actually a skin condition called carotenosis and you can notice it more in like babies mm. and they it's kind of like their nose turns like orange um interesting or like their ears and yeah and so if you like I don't know. I, I'd always heard that and thought it was a myth that, like, if you eat too many carrots, you turn orange, but, like, no legit. <laughs> there you go. Um, mm. So imagine uh, Violet Beauregard, or however you say her name, from Willy mm. Wonka, but instead of blueberries, yep. it's carrots. Violet, she's turning violet. Violet, she's turning yes. orange, mate. <laughs> orange, she's turning orange. Um... Orange, you're glad I made that joke. Okay, <laughs> moving right along from the color. The color of the flamingo is interesting, but yes. there's more to say. No, that is very interesting say... that that is how they get their color, is they get mm. stained. So how come that's just happening to the flamingos? Are the flamingos the only thing eating these particular diet? How come no other animals eating from the same food source that they are are turning their beautiful plumage? That's a fantastic question. I don't know. Um, I don't know if it means other animals have different diets. Like, I know flamingos are quite unique in how they've adapted to, like, really harsh environments. Like, they can stand in, like, 
really hot water and they can drink like boiling hot water straight out of like hot springs and stuff. Yeah. Right. Um, and like they've, they've adapted to these really like extreme kind of environments that other animals don't. So maybe the diet, yeah, is different. I don't know if other birds eat crustaceans. I'm not a huge bird expert Mm. and I did just research flamingos pretty much Mm. for this episode. So fantastic question. Uh, or I don't know whether it's something unique about like flamingos have adapted this way of capturing the carotenoids in the like fat and embedding that in their feathers for mm. some reason. Cause they thought it'd be fun. I don't know. Like mm. evolutionarily, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense why being bright pink would be. Cause it's a, hardly a, a good thing. camouflage thing. Um, um and, unless they, it is largely just because of that thing you said about finding a mate, because it's an ind- indicator that you are healthy. And but that's not the hunter. only reason. Um, and the only mm. thing that dictates them picking mates. In mm. fact, Act great, great <laughs> linking part because I actually wanted to talk about their mating rituals and and lifestyle uh, next because it's it's cool, it's really cool. Mm-hmm. So part of it is that yeah, like the brighter pink ones are going to be more appealing because they show that they're better hunters or whatever. But like flamingos, well, first of all, their their social structure and social understanding is like whack like it's it's they they have they live in big kind of social groups they you know will form often monogamous but sometimes polyamorous pairings or groupings I'll get to that in a sec to like you know share nesting or raising of of the young until Mm -hmm. it's you know ready to move out on its own in fact in they kind of almost form societies that have specific rules for specific areas so like at the waterhole they will never fight at a waterhole like there's no fighting at the waterhole because they all just need to drink water fresh water to like you know balance out their very salty diet essentially Mm. um but in foraging areas, they will fight and they will get quite territorial over their foraging and they'll, like, fence each other with their, like, bills and long necks oh, to, what? Like, defend their <laughs> personal space. It's real funny. What, so they just, like, um, whack their necks and heads against each other? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Okay. They'll like sword fight, but with their, with their bills. Yeah. Um, That's amazing. And like, it's, but it's like how humans, you know, like we act differently in different spaces, how yeah. we act at home versus how we act at work or whatever is, is going to be different. Like they have that built into their I wonder if they life. have like it's... penalties for people who break those rules. If someone starts a fight at the watering mm. hole, do they have like a justice system? Do they take it to Flamingo do they Court? Do they police? Do they have police? Do they? I don't think so. Do, or, do, or, or at the very least, as like humans. a, um, they just do what they're meant to do. Maybe, <laughs> maybe they like exile or shun the one that mm. fucked up and be like, I, you ain't getting the mate, son. You ain't getting food. You ain't getting water. You know, I. Well, definitely, like because they're mating. Sorry, okay, they're mating ritual. Let's just talk about the fact mm. that they have a whole proper mating ritual that is a a dance party. Essentially, <laughs> they all go to a nightclub. So, like, what happens is they all the flamingos in the group do this like dance and they have these very specific like dance moves that they will perform in a sequence that like scientists have actually like named the different movements and, and are able to like plant, like, you know, these are not just random movements. These are very specific. So what I'm hearing is we can choreograph and perform our own flamingo dances. Yeah, I don't think our necks are long enough to pull off some of the moves. Not with and that we don't attitude. Have wings, but you know, 
Uh, yeah. Mm. And but so during that, what happens is like that's where they'll like find a mate, and so like a female will often approach a very well dancing male, and then they'll pair off and like walk off together, you know, till death do us part, mm-hmm. essentially. Um, and that's how they like, you know, will meet their mate. But then sometimes they can perf- they form mating trios. So a third will come and join. Often how it happens is there's a pre existing couple. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a third will come and join, and that can be two males and one female, or it can be two females yeah, right. and one male. Like both exist, mm-hmm. um, or and like and 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 in that case, like the three of them, they'll all share a nest and look after, share the responsibilities mm-hmm. of raising the ba- like looking after the egg when it's born and mm-hmm. raising it um, for the first couple months of its life. Mm. Um, or sometimes you get two existing pairs that have like paired off at this dance, but then they go and join a very stable mating quartet. Oh, um, cute. Yeah. And same sex pairings are uncommon, but do happen. Right. Just like in humans. Mm-hmm. Like it's, all of this is so fascinating yeah. to me. Um, Didn't realize that flamingos actively practice polyamory in the rearing yeah. of their kids. And that is fantastic. Um, I love that. And that it's very stable and that, you know, it does no harm to the kids. Mm-hmm. So... Let's just let flamingos lead by example. Um, <laughs> saying let's just be accepting of everyone is all I'm saying. No subtext of social commentary here. No, I just think flamingos are real rad. Yeah. You? <laughs> no, I That's completely rad. agree. There's one more thing, one more kind of like main thing that I want to talk about with flamingos. Yes. And it's the fact that they stand on one leg. Yes, that is their iconic thing. They do like to mm. karate kid mm-hmm. pose. They like to do mm-hmm. that. Well, that's that's interesting that I say that just then because that standing on one leg pose is also known as the crane pose. Are flamingos related to cranes at all? A cranes all I feel like cranes might also be known for standing on one leg sometimes, and I wonder if that's similar to flamingos. That's interesting because, like, I totally hadn't even thought of that. Um, and I assume it, like, I don't, I don't know if it would be for similar reasons because I'll explain the reasons for flamingos in a second. And the mm. study that I, I am referencing or the couple of studies are done in flamingos specifically. And I don't know about crane one leg habits and whether they're the same mm. as flamingo one leg habits. Um, it's an interesting point. Yes. Don't know. Oh, uh, well, one of those things. Why do flamingos stand on one leg though? So that was like a debated and I mean it still kind of is debated to an extent Mm. but first I want to talk about like what we used to think or what some people still do think Mm -hmm. and that they used to think that it was a technique to reduce heat loss and maintain body temperature because normally right these uh, flamingos are standing in water and water is going to you know, absorb the heat loss faster than the air. Yeah. So if you can minimize the amount of your body that's in the water and then like tuck the other leg up into your like feathers to keep it warm, that's going to maintain body temperature. Like someone keeping, you know, one hand in your pocket while you use your phone with your other hand so that both your fingers don't freeze off Mm -hmm. when you're at the snow. Like, yeah. You know, and and it kind of makes sense. Like cats do a similar thing um, called loafing where they tuck their legs under them and yeah, right. like a loaf of bread. Mm-hmm. And so like 
you know, stop, it stops them losing heat in their extremities. Kind of makes sense, I guess, ish. But I mean, that um, doesn't necessarily make sense if they're standing in a hot spring and eating like, exactly. like you say. And they do. And they can handle like, that shit. Yeah, like that's the point. They, they do this in hot water as well. Yeah. And also other, like, other birds that stand in water don't do this mm. because some birds, like including flamingos, have essentially a network of like really closely packed blood vessels in their legs that are really good at recapturing and conserving body heat. Mm. Like it's it's naturally built into them to conserve heat because like if they're going to be in standing in water, like it doesn't, you know, it just, it just didn't make sense yeah. to a lot of researchers. And they were like, that's, that's not a really good enough explanation. Mm-hmm. So some scientists did a really cool study. Okay. And by cool, I mean, like, uh, mm, mm. anyway. Yeah, no, you're going to have to articulate they, it a bit better than that. What do you mean? What do you mean by oh, that? Oh, I know. Okay. Well, oh, let, let's start with, they found something really interesting from this study. They found that a flamingo doesn't actually have to be alive to successfully maintain this one-legged standing position. Okay. Is that a good old case of rigor mortis? No, 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 no. So they they took dead flamingos, freshly, uh, freshly. Oh, so they made they made them they made them dead for the study. Is that is that what you're they getting took at with this? <laughs> freshly dead flamingos. Okay. And stood them on one leg to see if they would stay stable. Okay. Um, and like so, apparently this study was motivated by the fact that flamingos often sleep standing one legged, right. right? Which is just really impressive yeah. if you think about it. Like try sleeping standing let alone like you know it, it this I position this yeah <laughs> right because this position this one-legged position is obviously something that comes really really easily to flamingos because like yes it's, yeah they it, can, it's they can their sleep quintessential like pose it's yeah yeah and they, and they do it unconsciously so Yes, they 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 took relatively fresh, so no rigor mortis, mm. floppy flamingo corpses, mm-hmm. and found not only could they stand on one leg, but they were actually more stable on one leg than two legs. Okay. Mm. And so the reason behind this, it seems, is not a case so much of biology, but physics. So when the foot, they found that like when the foot is directly beneath the bird, like the foot of the leg that's down, the weight distribution actually triggers like a joint lock that stops the bird from toppling over. So the center of mass of the flamingo is like in just the right place in front of its knee when the other leg is tucked up. Mm-hmm. Cause like, if you think about it, think about your knee, your knee can only bend in one direction. Yes. Right. And if you tried, if you tried to bend it in the other direction, it would like lock. Yes. And so a flamingo, when the weight is just in front of the knee, it can't, like they've, that's where the center of mass is. It it literally just locks in place. Flamingos have backwards knees, there. don't they? Okay, so no, that's the thing. That's their ankle. <laughs> oh, what? Okay. What? Yeah. So what you think of as their knee when yeah. you think of like a long, you know, leg and yeah. you see the bendy thing and you're like, hey, why does that bend forwards, not backwards? Mm. Nah, fam, that's their fucking ankle. So their knee is their up knee closer to their body? Is up higher. Yeah. So oh, it's kind of like okay. a dog leg. If you think about the back yeah. of a dog's leg their ankle is quite high and they've got this long kind of yeah. foot leggy thing and their knee is tucked up higher. So yeah. no, the flamingo's knee is like right up under the feathers pretty much and you can't see it. And okay. that gets locked into place. Right. And then their ankle locks and the whole thing just kind of locks into place mm. and is real stable. 
I kind of imagine like, you know, doing a, um, an arabesque. Yes. I'm, I'm trying to think wait, of a way wait, to wait, describe you... an arabesque over an audio medium for those who don't know what one Standing is. Standing on one leg, bending forward from the hips, extending your other leg out behind you. Perfect. I imagine it being like Almost like, like I work as a... A personal trainer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like when you're bending down, you lift your other leg back up because it allows your center of mass to be more, yeah, counterbalance yeah. to be more stable than if you were to just bend down normally. Is it is it something yeah. similar to that where just the physics works out better with where your center yeah. of mass is in terms of stability yeah. there? It's all just like they need the mass to all fall in the right place so that it just like locks in place and it just doesn't use any effort whatsoever for them. Yeah, to right. Just That's hang out in that position. Like <laughs> it's just it conserves energy. It's just easier and there was another study that used live flamingos and had them standing on like force plates which are just like devices that measure you know the force generated by any movement mm. on that plate and they found that when these flamingos were asleep on one leg they were like super stable like they there wasn't movement or much like movement force or anything so like yeah hot damn hot damn it's just a case of like that's just how their bodies real are built nifty and physics. really evolution you've done done did it again with a yeah right that, isn't that cool i think that's cool. that's very cool um, flamingos flamingos are a lot more technical and weird than i thought they were mm, mm. and i'm like there's heaps that i haven't even spoken about there's there's something that i'll that i didn't bring up because i think it's so cool that i want to do and it's not unique to flamingos either mm-hmm. and so i want to do like a whole episode on this but there's something called uni hemispheric sleep where essentially they can like turn like make half their brain fall asleep and keep the other half awake and then oh, yeah that's like, kind of like what i've heard dolphins do or yeah sharks yeah do. whether they actually do or other, not like, i don't migrating actually know birds. um that's one of those um, things that i feel like oh what if that's actually a myth that, that dolphins and whales do that now that i'm thinking about it but no no i'm pretty sure they do um mm. and there's like lots of evidence and there's also some evidence that humans can do it Ooh, a little bit. Anyway, that's a whole, you know, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> whole, a whole episode on sleep needs to happen and that's going to be a part of it. But, um, yeah, no, flamingos are real sick. Yes. Um, they dye yeah. their hair. They are terrifying. They have terrifying mouths. Um, they have social structures. Yeah. They like I mean, and they're like four to five feet tall, right? Oh, they're like, they're quite big. So there are some, they're easily taller than a lot of humans. Four, two, five. Are there humans? I know some short people, man. I don't know. Kids. I have no concept of height and feet, <laughs> to be honest. But yeah, like mm. taller than some children, definitely. Mm. Yeah, they're, they're flipping huge, but they weigh, oh, I didn't write it down, but they, for their size, yeah. they weigh very little, which is, right. you know, so they can fly quite easily. Yeah, that's the one and thing I was going to ask. How much do they fly around? Are they migratory? What what do they or do they just cuz I always imagine them more as like um more akin to the big birds like ostriches and emus with how cuz you you mostly see images of them standing around doing stuff. You don't see many images of them flying. Yeah, I mean, well they definitely are birds of flight and they do fly, but mm. they don't migrate generally. Okay. Unless, like, but they, they, they do move sometimes if there's, like, changes, massive, like, changes to the climate or water levels in their area. Like, they're not averse to moving, but, um, right. yeah, they're not, they don't have, Well, like, that's lucky for them, because, hey, guess what? The my... climate's changing. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I don't know where they're going to move to. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's happening everywhere. Sorry, guys. How bad. <laughs> kind of fucked up there. Oh, well. 
It's fine. Um, <laughs> no, it isn't. But no, actually, there was this. There was this story of um, flamingo, a flamingo that they that escaped a zoo. Mm. I want to say in Florida. I didn't. Uh, and then, <laughs> like fourteen years later, was found in Texas or something. Fantastic. Like they live. They they live like twenty years. Aww. Like they. You know, so yeah, this this animal like before it had its wings clipped because that's often what they do to birds in captivity that they don't want escaping. Mm. Um, before that had happened, the bird flew away, and yeah, like fourteen years later, rocked up just halfway across the country. Um, you go, Glenn Coco. So, you know, shout out to flamingos for being <laughs> it flamingos just, where it pleases. Just incredible creatures. <laughs> um. Anyway, anyway, I feel like. It's it's time to shuffle onto our listener question, mm. but as I am now looking at our listener question, I'm realizing that I the listener question that I have picked just really doesn't fit. Do we have another tonal shift? I, I do like that. Uh, it's just like yeah, in just color. Keep up with this team. If you were having fun with this really lighthearted, <laughs> fun, wacky topic about flamingos, let's bring it down a notch. Okay, I'm um, scared now. What are we What are we going to talk about? No, it's no. We're not bringing it down. I just I picked this because I was like, oh, this is something that I can answer with minimal additional research on my part uh, because it relates to the field of study that I study, which is addiction. Mm-hmm. So let's let's shift there. Uh, <laughs> so we're going to talk Simple about question. addiction. Let's go. Yeah, yeah. Um, which, you know, some of what I would say will kind of follow up on, I guess, some of this alcohol related stuff we talked about in our last episode, mm. if you haven't listened to that, but distinct question in and of itself. So let's go. Uh, question from Nigel. Mm-hmm. What is the difference between substance addiction, dependence and abuse? Or is it all just semantics? Ah, um, addiction. which is an interesting question because our definition and understandings of these words are changing. Um, yes. Like the DSM-4, which is the, you know, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual, we're currently up to five. So the old one um, had like abuse and dependence as two separate disorders. Yeah. Whereas now the DSM-5 kind of lumps everything under substance use disorder. Like it's, a, you know, they're right. no longer seen as distinct disorders they're all kind of linked in this thing but they are like they are different things all different flavors of the same ice cream as opposed to being uniquely different desserts they're all problematic ways of describing a problematic relationship to substance use um but they can all be taken as distinct but they can also be taken as related to each other so let's start with abuse right Mm. abuse is technically excessive use or using above the recommended amount and that can be like in one go like a a binge drink at a party like a party where you have like Mm -hmm. more than four standard drinks because yes the australian government guidelines i wasn't completely sure on them last episode Mm -hmm. i looked them up for this week uh oz government guidelines no more than 10 standard drinks a week and no more than four standard drinks in any one day well anything above that is technically uh, abusing alcohol. Well, there we go. Um, um. So, but then I guess like by that definition, right, any any use of something that is illicit is abuse because that's above what the government that's says That's true. Then, then that means by 
those definitions, what is defined as abuse is dictated not by our biology, but by the laws mm. of the country, which is interesting. So yeah, different which is societies interesting... would have different standards for what is abuse. So that's an interesting concept. Um, mm. Like that's where some of this, like it, yeah, it stops being science and starts being a bit about this semantics and what meaning we mm. prescribe to language, you know, but essentially, yes, uh, let's, let's think of abuse as just a, a case of excessive use of any of any substance, alcohol, whatever, to perhaps a level that is going to be biologically harmful to you mm-hmm. is going to be the most sort of scientifically accepted definition. Mm-hmm. And if you were to kind of look at it as a timeline, it'd go kind of abuse leads to dependence, leads to addiction. Leads to fear, so leads to suffering, ab- leads to the dark side. Yes, I remember leads Yoda to the saying dark side. that. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so... <laughs> As you more frequently abuse a substance, your chances of developing dependence to that substance increases, right? Yes. Yes. So, and this is where you come to the other two, addiction and dependence, which can sometimes be used interchangeably, but like they shouldn't be, they they do kind of actually have distinct meanings. So dependence usually refers to physical dependence right, on a substance, right? Which, you know, what's like, what's your understanding of physical dependence? Physical dependence, meaning that in order for you to thrive or survive in your own daily life as a quote unquote normal person, you need to have a regular upkeep of this substance. For a, So if, for example, a person who's like, oh, I need to have a nightcap if I want to sleep. I need to have a shot of whiskey before going to bed. Otherwise I can't sleep. Something like mm. that would be an example of a dependence on alcohol yeah. to aid with sleep. Exactly. Something like that. You physically need so a it's substance kind of, to do a, it's, an it's, activity. So it's, it's, it's characterized by generally two things, tolerance and withdrawal. So if you experience withdrawal, like withdrawal symptoms of any kind. So say you stop drinking that nightcap or one Mm. night you try not to have that nightcap and you just, you don't sleep Mm. and you like, you notice the lack of it. Um, or, you know, in extreme cases, I mean, I'm talking mostly about alcohol here because that's what my research is in and I know the most about it, Mm. but, um, the question was substances in general, but you know, with alcohol, if you, if you were using a lot of it, you might get shakes in withdrawal or like, cause your body essentially, your body starts doing this, like these preemptive, um, compensatory things like producing stress hormones, etc., to counteract the effect of alcohol. So like mm. our body likes to maintain homeostasis. It likes we like to, yeah, we like to just like stay at a, a baseline. And if you just keep regularly putting this essentially depressant, we all know alcohol is a depressant mm-hmm. in the sense that it, slows down your nervous system as its overall sort of acute effect. If you Mm want to really simplify it, um, we start to counteract that and be like constantly producing all these excess stress things. And so you get tolerance. The alcohol doesn't do what it, you know, used to do at the same amounts. You need to drink more and more to get the same effect because your body has started producing things to counteract it. Yeah. Um, and then when you stop, your body's still producing those things to counteract it. So you get withdrawal. Yeah, that makes sense. And so that, if you're experiencing that, that is like, you've, you've got a physical dependence yeah, okay. on that substance, right? That is, that is, so it's possible to be dependent and not addicted, but it's a bit of a blurry line and a slippery slope because part of addiction is often dependence. So addiction is 
defined generally as like a change in behavior that is caused by these like biochemical changes in the brain that happen after continued use of a substance. Right. So it's more of like a mental dependence, which is where it's like, okay, is it the same as dependence? Yeah. But like, yeah. yes, no. I mean, I guess you could argue, I don't know, is is that the same as dependence? Because at least from a scientific standpoint, everything mental is in its own way physical, right? If you're having some sort of, some sort of behavioral thing that's altered or psychological thing that's altered, then that's likely mm. a physical thing yeah, that's and changed I mean, in your brain as well, right? Yeah, and that's where it's like, oh. But in terms of how we mean it, generally we mean physical dependence in terms of those very acute symptoms of tolerance and withdrawal, right. which if you <clears throat> detox and you don't you don't drink for like two weeks, those go away. Yeah. And you're no longer dependent on the sub substance. But you can still be addicted to it. Right. Because addiction is where essentially it's it's a big component of addiction is like compulsively seeking this substance despite negative consequences. Yes. So it's where you will go out of your way to seek this thing and to find this thing. You get cravings for this thing. And, mm. you know, despite negative bad shit happening in your life as a result, you still do that. Which is why so if, even like, if someone's people... like completely shook a physical dependency on something, they could still have a relapse years down mm. the line because that addiction underlying exactly. thing is still there even despite yeah. the negative consequences of a relapse, it can still happen. Mm, mm, exactly. And so that's where addiction becomes a distinct thing where like you can be dependent on something and addicted to it, mm -hmm. but you can also be not dependent on something anymore, but still addicted to it. But you can also be dependent on something and not addicted to it, mm. which is where you would like, you're, you're getting these physical symptoms such right. as tolerance and withdrawal. And also likewise, but you can stop. You could right? abuse you, can a just... you could also abuse a substance without being dependent or addicted to yeah. it. That's more yeah. indicative of a single use, de defining how exactly. much you take in in that one moment. Right. Mm. So all of these things are very distinct, but like generally, you know, the more you abuse something, the more likely you are to be dependent on it. The mm -hmm. more dependent you are on something, the more likely you are to become addicted to it. And like it, it generally is a flow how you on thing. A Sith. Um, um, and that's how you, you know, first you've got to listen to the tragedy of Darth, Darth Lakers the Wise. wise. <laughs> then, I mean, it's not a story then, the Jedi would tell you. Um. No, no, no. <laughs> um, exactly. So, like, yeah. So, so those are kind of the distinctions. There, there's one way of looking at it, like, and and this whole you know concept of of addiction, abuse, dependence, whatever, um, which is, I I just love it. It's it's called the like Kube and Lamol cycle of addiction because these are the guys that came up with it. Mm -hmm. But it's it's often called the <laughs> the cycle of spiraling distress as well, <laughs> which I'm just like saying. Um, but it kind of like it has like three stages that kind of are often drawn with like arrow arrows between mm -hmm. them because they it cycles through them but also you spiral downwards as you cycle through them so you kind of start with like you've got the binge intoxication mm -hmm. phase which you know that makes sense it's that's kind of your abuse right yeah. where you binge and you get intoxicated yeah. then you have your withdrawal negative affect so like negative mood stage mm -hmm. which is kind of your dependence and then you've got what's called the preoccupation anticipation stage, which is kind of your addiction, right? Where mm -hmm. you can't stop thinking about it. Dopamine. You know, very much. Dopamine. Yeah. And like all three of those stages 
are kind of traditionally seen as being associated with different brain regions. Mm. So like your binge intoxication is mostly your, you know, striatum, ventral tegmental area. If you say so. Brain regions. Yeah, your like withdrawal is your amygdala, which is emotions, right? And then your preoccupation anticipation is more like prefrontal cortex, which is decision making, and hippocampus, which is like memory. I'm gonna take your word on those ones. But well, the thing is, I mean, I say all this, but the more ultimately, the more we learn, the more the lines between these distinct stages are blurring, and how we define addiction is changing. Right, and you know, as with all science. Mm. The more we learn, the less we know, you know, like you don't know what you don't know until you find out that you don't know it. And then all of a sudden you feel dumber, even though you've just spent years trying to be smarter. It's like Neville Longbottom. That is science in a nutshell. Neville Longbottom when he gets the remember all and it starts glowing and he goes, well, what have you forgotten? Well, that's the trouble. I can't remember what I've forgotten. (laughs) Yeah, it's that. That is, that is science. And it's a beautiful thing. You can only know what you can know. And then when we found out and then we find out, Hey, we know, and then we work with that and try to learn new stuff from it. It's an ever compounding, beautiful, spiraling, (laughs) Uh, spiraling distress, uh, (laughs) same what? No, I'm fine guys. How's lockdown treating the world is tough right now yeah. for a lot of people. Um, and so I hope our fun, wacky episode on flamingos was <laughs> what you needed and that our listener question about substance abuse, dependence, and addiction wasn't too close to home for anyone at the moment. And if it is, that's also okay. That's it, all right. I think even if it is a bit close to you know, home, it's good to be informed. That's, that's, yeah. the most, that's the most important thing. Be informed yeah. about choices you make. Roll with it. You know, that's... And if you're struggling, ask for help. Don't be... All of those things. All of that good Anyway, stuff. <laughs> anyway, folks, I think we're done here. Mm-hmm. Um, no. You know what we need to do before we finish? Plug our shit. <laughs> plug our pluggable. Yay. Uh, so... <laughs> I love branding and marketing. <laughs> and you don't already follow us on social media, then I don't know why you're still here. But hey, um, welcome. We're glad to have you here. I, I, we... No, we are. And if you would like to become an even bigger fan... You can follow us. <laughs> Find us on social media. We have a Twitter. We have an Instagram at Curiosity Rat. Are our, is is our handle? Are our handles at Curiosity Rat? Come come find us. Come play. Uh, we also have a Facebook page, <laughs> Curiosity Killed the Rat. And if you have a listener question, you want to email us, CuriosityRat at gmail.com is where you can shoot those through mm-hmm. to. And finally, Patreon. Patreon. We have a Patreon, we folks. We work hard on this show. We put time and energy into it. Uh, if you happen to have the money to spare and you appreciate what we do, chuck it our way. As little as like a dollar a month, I think it's the smallest. Uh, but mm-hmm. if you don't and you just enjoy vibing and you're not in a position to do anything but vibe for free, fam, we got you. That's why we're here. Mm-hmm. We're here to vibe for free. That's it. So, you know, hope you enjoyed vibing. I- and we will catch you next time. Peace. Curiosity. Kill the rat. Curiosity. Kill the rat.